let's get underway with our Thursday edition of Midday on the Rural Radio Network. How you doing? This is Dirk Christensen, and we're surrounded by the Brain Trust today that has all the information that you're going to need. Certainly everything that I can handle over the course of the next 90 minutes to two hours. And we get a rare Susan sighting here in the studios. I know. It happens once in a blue moon. Susan Littlefield is here to talk about what's going on. And you have a guest today. We do. Introduce us. For folks who don't know, we have a spring intern instead of a summer intern like we usually have. But she works out of Innovation Campus in Lincoln. So I'm going to have Alex introduce herself. Yeah, so my name's Alex Wojcicki. You guys have probably heard me on air, but I'm currently a student at Southeastern Beatrice, and then I'll be a student in Lincoln for Ag Communications. And I'm originally from Wilcox, Nebraska, so very com- familiar with KRVN. Absolutely. Well, welcome. And I'm finally uh, thrilled to be able to know exactly how to pronounce your name, Alex. <laughs> well, yes. Yes, it is a little difficult. Wojcicki. Wojcicki. <laughs> I'm going to write that down so I don't mess it up again. Roy Choff Ski. Perfect. Now everyone knows it all up and down the uh, rural radio network line. Now you need to spell it. No. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, tell us quickly, Susan, what are you working on? We've got a lot of things coming up. Of course, Arlen Suderman joins me at 117 to talk about China and sorghum. There are some vessels sitting in the Pacific Ocean waiting for delivery. At 1245, Hannah talks about hail no with Ashley and Nathan Mueller. Some hail issues. And at 12.19, Shaley's going to get us an update from the Great Plains Symposium that is underway through tomorrow in Kearney. Very good. Thanks. And good to see your face. Yeah. How's the uh, arm, by the way? In a beautiful black cast. It really is. Yeah. It's, all right. Well, yep. all the best. Speedy recovery. Jason exactly. Jorgensen. The free fall of Husker baseball continued last night as they lost at home to Omaha 8-7. to Did you know... It is the first time that Nebraska has lost to the Mavericks in baseball since 1997. Wow. It's it's been one of those years. Huskers have lost eight out of their last 11. We'll get the thoughts of head coach Darren Erstad about that one. Also coming up, we have a firing already in Major League Baseball. The Reds have fired Brian Price after a 3-15 start. He becomes the first managerial change in Major League's uh, been tough go for the Reds. They've been trying to rebuild for a while. A former Cubs coach, Jim Riggleman, he's been the bench coach. He will take over on an interim basis. And we'll talk a um, little Major League Baseball coming up. Also some NHL and uh, NBA playoff action. Former KU star, Joel Embiid, of course, he's been a big part of the 76ers turnaround. Well, he's one of those guys who's always hurt. And uh, he's hurt again, and they're not quite sure if he can play in Game 3 of their series at Miami. Well, the nice thing about, uh, you know, having a managerial turnover in Ohio is that the weather's been so bad, no one will know he was ever there this year. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Bob Brogan on business. Uh, Tech Drop pulls the stocks down a little bit lower, and they're way down by losses uh, in technology and consumer products companies. Meanwhile, mortgage rates are rising. Indian is recalling some motorcycles that can start themselves. Maybe that's not such a good thing. You know, you don't want to be chasing your uh, motorcycle down the street. Those are some of the things going on. Also, uh, the Fearless Girl statue is going to leave Wall Street's Charging Bull location, and that uh, would take a long time to explain, but uh, some people know about it. All right. All this and more is coming up for you today on your Thursday Midday. Paul Perkins is in with our ag weather. It's brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your ranky dealer. 
Not too bad. We could use a few more degrees to get that soil temperature up, I think. Definitely on this unseasonably cool side once again for today. Just slightly seasonably cooler for today. Our current temperatures across much of central Nebraska in the low and mid-40s, but we do have some upper 40s and low 50s in eastern Nebraska, northern Kansas, on into southwest Nebraska, on into the northeast part of Colorado. The warmest over northeast Colorado and northwest Kansas, where some temperatures are up to 54 right now. Are you going to offer us any hope for a warm-up, Paul? Eventually, we do have uh, hopes of a warm-up, especially by the early part of next week. Oh, I thought you were going to say July, we should get something. Uh, guaranteed by July, yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, right, Especially right. that mid part of July. We're usually safe on that bet. <laughs> the hottest time of the year. But today, going to be milder than what we saw yesterday, especially since we will have less wind. But still, those temperatures today in most areas about 5 to 10 degrees cooler than normal as some easterly winds kick in off an area of high pressure over Iowa. Rain chances, cloud cover, and winds start to increase once again tomorrow as an area of low pressure starts to slide southeast out of the Rockies. Now, this system sliding southeast, not moving from west to east, this track going to lead to likely rain chances late tomorrow through Saturday over the west and central part of Nebraska and Kansas. The lower chances as you head farther east into eastern Nebraska. Rain amounts will range from about a few hundredths to a fifth of an inch for northeastern areas of Nebraska to about a quarter to uh, uh, to about a quarter of an inch to 60 hundredths over southwest areas. Another likely rain chance is in the forecast by Monday night with the system passing to our north. The Tuesday night and Wednesday forecast currently on the dry side, but some forecast bundles in that we could see some rain chances passing just to our south. We'll have to see if they track a little bit farther to the north. Temperatures will gradually warm a little more to seasonal levels, especially by early next week. Looks like our coolest day on Saturday with lingering rain chances, the mildest on Monday ahead of that other rainmaker. There's a minor change in our long-term forecast from the warmer outlook that we had yesterday. Nebraska and Kansas temperatures now look to be mostly seasonal or near normal Tuesday through May 2nd. Slightly warmer than normal temperatures expected by late April and early May over western Nebraska and Kansas. Our precipitation outlook predicting near normal to slightly above normal precipitation in Nebraska and Kansas. Looks like that better chance of a little more moisture over western areas of Kansas where they definitely need it. Soil temperatures four inches down at seven this morning in the low 30s in north central and northeast Nebraska. Snow cover the main reason for those colder soil temperatures. Butte and Boyd County, they still have 11 inches of snow on the ground there. Still very winter-like there. And as you head into Minnesota, many locations with about 16 to 20 inches of snow still on the ground. Elsewhere in Nebraska, soil temperatures in the upper 30s. Low 40s for soil temperatures were found in much of Kansas. 83% of Nebraska is drought-free in the latest drought monitor. Abnormally dry conditions remain from McCook and Frontier County into the southeast part of Nebraska. The only drought-free county in Kansas continues to be Cheyenne County in the northwest. The northern two-tier of counties in Kansas and the extreme east are normally dry to a moderate drought. Right along and just to the south of I-70, there's severe drought. And then along and to the south of the Arkansas River, the worst conditions of extreme to exceptional drought are found and continue. Weather factors impacting the markets include an unsettled Midwest pattern and only marginal dryness easing from rains in the southern plains this coming weekend. The southern high plains wildfires, which have destroyed well over 100 structures, are in various stages of confinement right now. A storm crossing the southern plains this weekend could result in a half 
to an inch and a half of rain across the portions of the southern plains. That rain amount, though, offering only brief easing of drought conditions, especially considering the recent strong and very dry winds. More continued delays are expected for fieldwork in the Midwest, especially in the northern portion. After a round of snow and ice yesterday, precipitation and cold spring weather in the Midwest will keep fieldwork at a standstill. For a while longer, a slow warm-up and a storm track to the south may allow some improvement about seven days out, but increasing rain chances 10 days from now may result in only minimal improvement and a little bit better chance to get in the field. Mainly dry weather across the Delta through the end of the week will be favorable for their field work and planning. So some some people are getting in the field right now. (laughs) Well, it would be nice to see, and I know everyone's getting pretty itchy about that. Your uh, ag weather, of course, brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your ranky dealer. At least you do show some possibilities of precipitation out there. Yeah, continued uh, rain chances, and notice we're not saying snow or blizzard this time in the yeah, forecast. Not so much. <laughs> yeah, slowly we've managed to root that out of the forecast. That's all good news, and uh, we hopefully will have better news for you to come. Brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your ag weather, and when you need weather anytime, krvn.com. Committee advances farm bill with few farm changes but a major snap dispute. I'm Shaley Peters joining you now on the Rural Radio Network as we take a look at your midday ag news. After hours of criticism by Democrats on changes to food programs, the House Agriculture Committee passed a farm bill out of committee Wednesday on a strictly partisan 26 to 20 vote as every Republican voted for the bill and every Democrat opposed it. Chairman Michael Conway of Texas told reporters afterwards He hopes the bill can get a full House vote during the first week of May. Conaway said in opening remarks he was determined to get the bill done on time. As the current farm bill expires on September 30th, the end of the federal fiscal year. My view on this has not changed, Conaway said. The current farm bill is set to expire at the end of the year, so we have a duty to act. The words farm bill were stated more times than can be counted, but little time was taken by the committee on programs and policies directly related to farmers. Most of the debate and complaints from Democrats focused on the proposed changes to job training and eligibility for the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP. Countering Conaway, ranking member Colin Peterson, a Democrat from Minnesota, called the legislation a flawed bill that is the result of a bad and non-transparent process. Peterson said Republicans are on an ideological crusade regarding snap changes that would turn urban lawmakers against farm programs on the House floor. And in other ag news, Governor Pete Ricketts hosted a ceremonial signing event for LB 596, which exempts equine, cat, and dog massage practices from licensure and regulation into law. LB 596 was introduced by State Senator Mike Groney of North Platte. The legislature voted to advance the bill to the governor's desk. Our continued commitment to occupational licensing reform is creating more opportunities for Nebraskans across the state, said Governor Ricketts. This bill builds on the work the legislature and I have done to break down unnecessary barriers over the past two years. Thank you to Senator Groney for his leadership in shepherding this proposal through legislative process. LB 596 will remove licensing restrictions for Nebraskans who wish to engage in equine cash or dog massage practice, which were previously restricted by the Veterinary Medicine and Surgery Practice Act. 
And U.S. Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue today announced the selection of senior leaders in several U.S. Department of Agriculture agencies. Perdue appointed Ken Eiley as Foreign Agriculture Service Administrator, Joel Baxley as Rural Housing Service Administrator, and Martin Barbara as Risk Management Agency Administrator. And it is in addition, Purdue announced the appointment of Tommy Williams as Minister Counselor for Agriculture at the U.S. Mission to the United States Agencies for Food and Agriculture in Rome. President Trump has made increasing prosperity in rural America a priority for his administration, and our new USDA team members will be key in advancing us toward that goal, Secretary Purdue said. Improving economic conditions in rural America involves providing services to farmers, ranchers, foresters, and producers, and it also also means helping people who live in those communities. In addition, we must continually try to find new markets for the agricultural bounty they produce. Our new leaders in FAS, RHS, and RMA will help us carry out our mission. And finally, Nebraska native Sarah Pollock has been named Experience Coordinator at Raising Nebraska, the agricultural literacy experience at the Nebraska State Fairgrounds. Pollock brings more than two decades of administrative and agricultural experience to the position. Again, for all of our ag news, audio, and video, you can always visit ruralradio.com. That's a quick look to your midday ag news. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaylee Peters, joining you today from the Conference on Tourism and Conservation in the Great Plains happening here in Kearney. And I visit with Sarah Sordom. She's an ecotourism manager and operator of Calamus Outfitters. And Sarah, you just got done speaking just a little bit ago with several conference goers about how you were able to diversify your family ranch that had lots of history behind it how you were able to diversify it in a way that some people don't necessarily think about but able to bring your family back then because of this go into what exactly you've done up there with Calamus Outfitters yeah you know we've used diversification uh, in a lot of different ways on our ranch uh, we have diversified our cattle operation into different income streams but our biggest diversification has been into tourism and so originally this was my older brother's idea uh, to bring another revenue stream from the same acres to enable him to live and work on the ranch and so um, he originally looked at hunting uh, and had success with that but it kept growing uh, because of the need there's a need out there that people want to experience uh, nature they want to experience authentic authentic experiences um, they enjoy the peacefulness that we have to offer in our rural areas and they appreciate uh, what we have and they also appreciate uh, what landowners are doing to conserve these open areas so I think that agritourism and ecotourism is a great fit uh, for rural Nebraska it's been great for us because it has fit in with our more traditional agriculture uh, very well we have not given up anything on our agricultural side uh, in fact it has enhanced that so we really feel like it's been a win-win situation for us talk a little bit more about the different when you diversified um, outside of uh, your cow-calf operation talk a little bit more about what that meant for your family and what you guys are doing now I know you, today you talk to people about your birding and several other things that you offer up there on our tourism side uh, we offer lodging 
and lodging has been great uh, just in a lot of different ways, but we utilized some things on our ranch that we already had uh, to get started. We had a vacant home. Uh, we also had some other outbuildings that we've converted um, into lodging, into event spaces. So that's been really good for us. And then we added some opportunities for people to get out on the land. So one of the most popular things in the summertime is when people come up and either tank or kayak or tube down the Calamus River. Another thing that we do is uh, Jeep tours, and these take place on our family ranch. And I love taking people out, sharing our ranch, and giving them a little more information about what they're seeing. Uh, other things that we do are the bird watching. Uh, in the springtime, centered around the greater prairie chickens and the sharp-tailed grouse. We really enjoy bringing people out to see those iconic birds uh, that we have here. And uh, we also still do some hunting. Uh, and then we do a lot of special events, um, you know, weddings and uh, things of that nature. Uh, so it's just uh, been a wonderful way to meet a lot of great people. And it's uh, really satisfying to uh, share what we love and have people appreciate it. It's a great feeling. Uh, but most importantly, it has allowed us to bring the next generation back to the ranch. It's Sarah Sordom, ecotourism manager and operator with Calamus Outfitters. From Kearney for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaylee Peters. It's midday on the Rural Radio Network and time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, the bad season was made worse last night as a Husker baseball team lost at home to Omaha 8-7. It's Nebraska's first loss to the Mavericks since 1997. Huskers actually trailed 8-2 in this one after the top of the six before scoring five unanswered runs. But in the end, it wasn't enough. Omaha had 14 base runners last night without a hit, and head coach Darren Erstad admits that was a problem. Enough walks and, and hit by batters and errors and helping them start their innings uh, doesn't help. Um, but again, you know they've they've had they've done well this year because they, they're they're not walking as many guys. They're playing better defense, and they took advantage of, of you know us making mistakes and they mixed in their hits and you know they just they played a better game than we did. And, ANU now sits at just 16 and 19 on the year. They've dropped eight out of their last 11 this weekend. They're on the road at Rutgers. Nebraska goes into that series at just three and seven so far in league action. The Cincinnati Reds have fired Brian Price after a three and 15 start, the first managerial change of this Major League Baseball season. Price was in his fifth season leading the rebuilding team. The Reds had lost at least 94 games in each of the last three seasons while finishing last in the NL Central. Former Cubs manager and bench coach Jim Riggleman will manage the team on an interim basis. Joey Bats could be coming to Atlanta after the Braves signed Jose Bautista to a minor league contract following an impressive workout. The six-time All-Star will report to extended spring training and would receive a one-year, $1 million deal if added to the 40-man roster. The 37-year-old Batista earned $18 million last year while hitting just 203 with 23 home runs and 65 RBIs in 156 games last year for Toronto. Former KU star Joel Embiid remains listed as doubtful by Philadelphia for Game 3 of the 76ers Eastern Conference Playoff Series at Miami tonight. Embiid was on the floor with the 76ers for their morning shoot-around, but Coach Brett Brown says there's no change in the All-Star Center status. Embiid has missed Philadelphia's last 10 games while recovering from a concussion and surgery that repaired a fractural orbital bone around his left eye. 
And the first round of the NHL playoffs continues with two game fours tonight. Boston takes a 2-1 series lead into Toronto, and Columbus has a 2-1 series lead over visiting Washington in a series in which all three games have been decided in overtime. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More on Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Mostly clear tonight in Nebraska, lows in the 30s. I'm Dave Schroeder. A workforce housing bill that Gehring Senator John Stinner has championed for two years has gained final approval by the legislature and is on its way to Governor Ricketts for his signature. The bill will allow communities in Nebraska to use tax increment financing and other incentives to help pay for workforce housing in rural communities and other sectors in the state. Stinner says the bill will encourage the building and renovation of multiple homes by contractors in rural communities and targeted urban areas, reducing construction costs. In talking to builders, if they had four or five homes to build in a row, then they could do a volume discount. They could get their artisans to actually push their costs down because they'd be working for a period of time. He says the tax increment financing will help build a property base that after the TIF funds are paid for will serve as property tax relief. But Baird Senator Steve Erdman was the main opponent claiming the property taxes not paid through tax increment financing are added to the tax bill of average Nebraskans. So if you came here or you are here and your opinion is you think our property tax are too high and you vote for 496, guess what? You just voted to raise property tax. The bill was approved on a 35 to 8 vote. Authorities say a woman was fatally wounded in a parking lot at a Walmart just outside of Omaha. The shooting occurred at the Irvington store a little before 5 p.m. Wednesday. She's been identified as 21-year-old Kavian Nelson. No arrests have been reported. The Kansas Republican Party's chairman has dropped out of the Secretary of State's race. Kelly Arnold announced that he has ended his campaign for the GOP nomination so he can fully focus on electing fellow Republicans to office this year. Arnold has been the party's state chairman since 2013 and has also served as Sedgwick County's elected clerk since 2009. Incumbent Secretary of State Chris Kobach is seeking the GOP nomination for governor. The other Republicans running to replace Kobach are Kansas House Speaker Pro Tem Scott Schwab of Olathe, House Elections Committee Chair Keith Esau of Olathe, and former Deputy Assistant Secretary of State Craig McCullough of Topeka. Democratic candidates include State Senator Marcy Francisco and former Google and Uber executive Brian McClendon. Both are from Lawrence. Firefighters are hoping that better weather will help them fight wildfires in Oklahoma, but conditions are critical in Arizona and New Mexico. A spokesman for the U.S. Forest Service says higher humidity and milder winds today should help in Oklahoma. Kansas officials say a fire there burned about 75 square miles is largely extinguished. Your phone is just one click away from closings and cancellations when you use our app. Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Hannah Borg. From the Nebraska Sweeping Board News Desk on Innovation Campus, I'm joined with Ashley Nathan Mueller, Nebraska Extension Educators. Ashley, start us off by telling about your role, a role that many may not know about. So my role is disaster education, and we know the disasters affect all of our extension program areas. So whether that is agriculture or communities or, you know, foods, nutrition and health, 
we see it all. And so I had some conversations with some of our cropping systems experts and said, I think we need to be thinking about how we can address a very unique but not unique issue in Nebraska, and that is hail. And that issue of hail led to the development of Hail No by extension. Nathan, can you tell me more about how this came to be? Uh, my second day on the job in June uh, was a pretty devastating hailstorm in 2014 that went all the way from Norfolk through Blair into Iowa. And so we had a large area that had significant hail damage and wind damage. And so I did have an emergency meeting within a couple days after the hail event. had 120 people there, uh, news stations, everything, and realized that we didn't have the resources for them um, ahead of time. And we were more in response mode and trying to get them and scurrying to get information for them instead of having all the information in one place and having them prepared for an event like that and being able to answer a lot of the common questions they had uh, fairly quickly because it is time sensitive. How do you hope that this resource will help producers impacted by hail in the future? Yeah, so one piece is going to be awareness, just the fact that we have the, the Hail No website. So checking out what's there ahead of time, so knowing uh, what videos, what resources, uh, what extra links or external sources there is so they can make you know those critical management decisions based on um, fundamental science and what we know about crop development and, and and growth and then the second piece is then when they have a hail event and it's just a matter of when but then they know where to go what's there and so then they can look at that resources because they're not going to remember but a, a go-to place for them um, to get extra information Ashley I'm sure that hail no couldn't happen without a team of people in sponsorship talk about some of those people that have helped made it all happen Sure. So um, our core team is consists of Nathan and me, and then we have Tyler Williams, and he's a, an extension educator serving Lancaster, Odo, uh, and Cass counties. And then we have had the opportunity to work with a specialist, Roger Elmore. So he's our cropping systems agronomist uh, there. And so we really were kind of formed the the, the core team, um, the team that was kind of driving the the goals, I guess, to make sure we were hitting those benchmarks. Um, but we actually have a larger team that's involved. So experts in cropping systems all the way from um, integrated uh, systems to uh, weed management to um, experts in cover crops, soil health. So really kind of covered all aspects of, of really how crops are impacted by hail. Nathan, how did you and other agronomists leverage your expertise within the area to develop hail now? Yeah, I, I think... Um as an agronomist, you want to share uh, probably more information than the grower needs to know. Um, a lot of times, you know, when you're in, you're stressed about having an event where your crop was damaged, there's a lot of emotions and stress going on. And so I think boiling our information down to key management steps and key things to focus on so that maybe they're less overwhelmed with our resources. Because as scientists and agronomists, you know, we're really good at giving a lot of information, but sometimes we need to make that a little bit more simple. So, you know, part of that piece was looking at infographics, which is a very common uh, way to share information today that's, that's maybe more concise and has a graphical approach, as well as putting a series of videos together. It's much easier uh, sometimes to watch a three-minute video than it is to read a two-page article. Um, and so those are the things that we were looking at. How can we deliver our information um, in, in, in a way that's going to be digestible, usable, and be able to help growers respond quickly um, to, you know, hail damage in their crops.
There are six main topics to hail no. Ashley, how did you take the big topic of hail and narrow it down to those six key points? Yeah, that was that was a process, um, but I think really helpful. So that's where we really relied on our team members. I had some really good discussions, some meetings to really talk about what were the types of questions or, or issues that our experts were seeing after these hail events and how could we theme them out uh, to make sure that we could kind of put them under these different umbrellas, the information that we were generating, so that it would be most relevant to what the, the user would need. Also to assess our current resources, those resources that we already had had before this project and kind of started looking at where they might fit. Um, so, so when we came up with those six theme areas, you know, we felt really good about that because it was essentially from the beginning um, of the hail, you know, the hail storm all the way through recovery and possibly, you know, what are your options if you don't really feel like you don't have any other options. Storm season is upon us, so where can users find more information about Hail No? The, the main hub of all this, we're going to have opportunities to reach out through social media, so that's one way to connect with us is, is through Twitter and Facebook. Uh, but the hub is really the website that's at our uh, statewide agronomy website, which is cropwatch.unl.edu backslash hail. Um, and on that site is those six areas from uh, understanding hail and the hail storm to assessing damage to looking at managing crop insurance to replanting considerations, managing that recovering crop. And then the last piece is can we use cover crops or is there some late season uh, decisions, things that can help us out in the long term as well. You've been listening to Ashley and Nathan Mueller, Nebraska Extension Educators, about the new resource, Hail No. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Hannah Borg. Next, we get a review of the livestock futures trade with Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Joe? Yeah, a little bit different than we've had in the uh, past week. Uh, pretty hard down in, uh, in livestock, or at least in the cattle. Uh, Triple digit losses, uh, a lot of selling. Uh, apparently, there's a little bit of fear about this uh, cattle on feed report. Cash uh, trades have been uh, 120, 121, uh, and yet the uh, futures uh, came under a considerable amount of pressure. But uh, the uh, fact that uh, we may be looking at an 8% uh, uh, increase in the uh, number of cattle on feed over last year has got the market maybe just a little bit nervous and uh, we saw a lot of uh, selling today uh, uh, appeared to be a lot of liquidation, uh, long liquidation and uh, uh, some triple digit losses cutouts uh, were virtually unchanged uh, on the choice, down four cents, no no big deal um, but uh, nothing uh, seemed to uh, stop the uh, selling. Over in the hogs, uh, we're going to finish mixed at least there, uh, just down slightly in the rest of the months. The May, a little bit higher. Cash was uh, strong once again. Cutouts were higher at noon. So uh, everything looking fairly positive. The only thing is, is we've got such big premiums uh, to the index right now that uh, the market's just a little reluctant to uh, really go in the back months. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal can be reached at Great Plains Commodities, 800-328-0134. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. There's more behind the scenes when it comes to sorghum and China. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Our 
Alan Suderman with F.C. Stone joined me yesterday during the Fontenelle final bell as we talked about the sorghum and China issue. He gave us some backfill. China first impacted the grain sorghum market, which had been red hot this year. Chinese end users have been trying to buy up as much grain sorghum from the United States as they could find because it was so much cheaper than what the local corn was and better quality in many cases as well. And China didn't like that because it was preparing to release some more corn out of its reserve from years 2013, 14, and 15. And that corn would not have the same quality as what fresh corn, freshly harvested corn would. And uh, they wanted to make sure that it didn't have competition in the feed grain market. So what they did do is come out, similar things that they've done in the past to try to stop imports the United States is they said they were going to initiate an anti-dumping um, practice investigation. We're going to start an anti-dumping investigation, and which meant there could be tariffs put on grain sorghum. That shut the sales off dramatically. At the time they shut the sales off, there were about 30 cargoes of grain sorghum been sold to China and to unknown destinations, largely believed to be China, um, that had not been shipped yet. So those end users have been actively trying to get that grain sorghum shipped, two or three cargoes per week. Suddenly, China comes out this week and on Tuesday and says, starting on Wednesday, any grain sorghum that gets shipped to China, the exporters of that grain sorghum are going to be required to deposit with us money equal to 178.6% of that that shut off shipments. So now there's a bunch of those cargoes of ships of grain sorghum out in the Pacific Ocean looking for another home. There's grain companies here in the United States who had accumulated grain sorghum to be shipped uh, based on those contracts with those Chinese buyers who are now trying to find other customers for it to be in much of that looking to Mexico that hasn't been loaded yet. And so Really, we're having a fire sale on grain sorghum. That's a net negative for the U.S. farmer in the plane. Do you think that this is just going to be a temporary blip on the radar when it comes to sorghum? Well, first of all, this is totally separate from the trade war right. that was started afterwards. But China will sweep it into that to try to score more political points and, and maybe even try to tie it so they can try to build the pressure, political pressure on President Trump to yield. Um, but this is just an, another ongoing way that China kind of has been a problem for the U.S. farmer trying to count on any type of a steady market there just because we can grow grain sorghum cheaper than what they can. I do think it's going to, going to unless there's some type of a trade deal reached that would allow movement, I think that it's probably shut off for at least a year or maybe two to three years. More likely probably a year or a year and a half or two years, somewhere in that range, until they get their corn reserves down to a manageable level. And then I think they're going to need it because I think their ethanol industry is going to be, with their new 10% blending mandate, is going to require enough feed grain um, corn feed stocks for the ethanol production that they're going to need the feed grain. And so I think it'll be back after a year or two. But in the meantime, that was a huge market taken away from us. Comments with Arlen Suderman. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network as we close lower in corn and soybeans, but higher in winter wheat futures. 
We're joined by John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. What are your thoughts on today's close? Well, I don't know. Not, not a whole lot of thoughts to have after a day of the last two or three days where it just has gone nowhere. And uh, fighting with 410 on the upside in the uh, December contract and kind of falling down to that 380 level in May, I really think this has a lot to do with delivery and just the amount of bushels that will need to clear here in the next two weeks. Um, very similar to the February time frame where we rallied up, touched that uh, 370 level, and then backed off traded 360 into the close of February. March delivered, and then by the time the first week of March rolled around, we were back up north of uh, 370, pushing on 380. So I think it's a uh, you know just a, somewhat a correction in time for the markets in corn. Uh, you know, a little uncertainty now about Brazil, which I think is something people got to keep their eyes on. Things are going to get dry down there. And that's kind of a factor here as we go into a, well, not say a late planting season, but a little bit of a delay. Are we still at a, like a 410 magic mark for December corn and maybe, what, 1050 on November soybeans? Yeah, I'd say more like 1060 and 415 to 420. You know, that $4 cash price for guys south of you, there's folks I work with down in the southern part of Kansas who can get, you know, 18 under the board in certain areas. And that, you know, I think a lot of guys looking to sell $4 cash when they get their chance to do it. And I know up in your parts, you're probably not that lucky with a basis uh, a little bit wider. But uh, I'd imagine that 415, 420 level is going to bring some folks up near four. And then that's where you'll see some cash selling at this point. Uh, but I do, I do think everything's just being dictated right now by old crop, the amount of supply that's out there, both on the beans and the corn side. Beans have a substantial carry between May and July. So right now, if you're going to roll your longs from May to July, you're going to do it for about 11 cents. That was about six cents a couple of weeks ago, and really going back a few months, it, we were actually over uh, the front month, over the secondary month. So we've seen the carries really widen out here. I think you've seen basis fall in South America, but I think a lot of this is factored in now. Uh, you know, I would be shocked to see it run down to 10.20 on the beans, but uh, there's just very little to talk about other than good exports that we saw today. Give us a quick comment on winter wheat futures. Well, I, I'm focused on the, the, the area south of you. Obviously, the rain, they're, they're continuously taking a little bit of moisture out with each model run. Uh, but I think the story is also being written up north now where a lot of snow sits north of you guys. Uh, planting windows are shrinking very quickly for folks up the, in, the, in the Dakotas and into Montana and uh, eastern or western Minnesota. Um, I think those folks will probably look to move towards soybeans in areas where they can, otherwise go pulses or something smaller. So I, I look for, uh, for wheat to be a buy here. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com.